0: Hello, everybody. Adam Parks here with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today I'm here with my longtime personal friend, colleague, former business partner, and just all around good guy, Mr. Neil Mastalone, who's now with Velo Law. How are you doing today, Neil?
1: Doing great. Doing great. Pleasure to be with you this morning, Adam.
0: Well, I appreciate you coming on and having a chat with me today. Um, I know I've had an opportunity to participate in quite a bit of your career, um, and we've been working together for, God, it's got to be almost 20 years now. But for anybody who's not been as lucky as me to get to know you through the years, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today? Sure, sure. I um
1: my first uh, step into the business was in uh, brokerage of delinquent receivables. Actually, when you and I met, I started at Credit Max in West Palm Beach and we were uh, brokering sales both for debt sellers and also for accounts that we owned as principal. It was a nice opportunity to, um, to work with a broad range of product and to work with a company that was, um, you know, on the rise and growing fast. Um, and it was a good environment to, to learn fast, I think, and become familiar with a lot of different facets of the business just out of necessity. Mm. Um, following that, I uh, began working with a debt buyer that was buying directly from um, several of the larger banks. And so we were buying as principal and selling through a network of uh, state and regional buyers Generally speaking, they were law firms or investors that intended to pursue a legal strategy just based on the nature of state and, and regional sales that tended to be the buyer. Sure. Um, in about 2012, that business became a little bit more, well, a little is an understatement, uh, became more difficult to conduct. Um, and I found my way back to, uh, to you, Adam, and we founded a compliance consulting company together and, ran around the country writing policies and procedures and doing vendor auditing and, and um, selling compliance management software. And uh, that was a real interesting way to get a, a foray into how differently this is done in different places. Um, mm-hmm. There's a tendency- it really was an incredible
0: in- window, right? Like an opportunity to see into a lot of different places and really get a broad perspective across the whole space.
1: Yeah, I think there's a tendency in a lot of businesses and, and really in in a lot of fields of expertise to think that, that there's a right way. Mm-hmm. Right. And and different ways of doing it are just some variation of the wrong way. Um, and so I, that was an interesting set of perspectives and that there are very viable strategies that mm. diverge completely from from, you know, from other viable strategies. And that was that was a great learning experience uh, following that. Founded a debt buying company of my own, and we managed a network of law firms in most of the country buying um, issuer directs here and there. But generally speaking, buying from other debt buyers or buying in concert with other debt buyers um, and really beyond the acquisitions process, it's, it was primarily a vendor management business. And that was also an an excellent opportunity to work with firms uh, that I had no prior experience with, and 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 try to bridge the gap between what they think is going to make a placement successful and what I think is going to make a placement successful. And I think that you know creating that understanding is a is is one of the real ways that well that anybody can be successful in this business, right? Someone that we know uh, mutually who I will not embarrass by naming told me when I was starting that business, uh, this is much harder than you think it is. You're Mm -hmm. you're going to spend a lot more money than you think you are. This is going to take a lot longer than you think it is. And you're going to need to hire and fire way more of these firms than you are expecting to. And I have to say that she was right on Mm -hmm. every one of those counts. Um, but yeah. that does not make that an unmanageable situation. That makes it a situation that requires management. Um, Fair. So, you know, with that in mind, I think that, you know, both from the client side and from the vendor side, I, I think an attempt needs to be made to appreciate the way that that other party approaches the business. Right. Or, mm-hmm. or as debt buyer, are you relying on the vendor? for um for a lot Mm. more of the expertise are they making the suit decisioning? are they getting you these addresses and these poes how much of this investment are they directing right or Mm -hmm. on the other end of things is it all just exception reporting and you've got it locked down tighter than a drum and if a suit mm-hmm. doesn't get filed the day it's supposed to get filed, well, that's going to flag an exception, and that's how I want to do business. Well, those are two very different clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's possible to service both of those clients adequately and in a way where everyone's going to be happy, but not without that understanding in advance.
0: Agreed. right? The, the understanding of the two different scenarios and the application of all of the different potential models that you've had the opportunity to see through other facets.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, it's not a matter of,
0: well, this is where I want to take the conversation today. So I'm going to come back to that. Tell us a little bit about Velo law and what it is that you're doing over there now that you're with that team.
1: Well, great. I'm I'm glad to have the opportunity. Velo law is a collections law firm located in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, we're servicing Mm -hmm. four States, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, and uh, Montana. There are some expansion plans, but I'll 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 leave those uh, I'll I'll leave those on the drawing board for the for the moment. Um, we're working with a lot of um, great clients. We're very proud of our client list, and it's growing. Our institutional client base consists primarily of debt buyers and collection agencies that are sort of acting as master servicer. We do some mm-hmm. issuer direct work, but it's it's primarily in that in that market segment that we're doing most of our expansion.
0: Well, it sounds like that's like right up the alley of your experience and kind of what you've been built to do, so to speak, throughout your career. Um, Now, as you've gone through that transition, right, so you went from being a debt buyer that was managing attorneys to being part of a law firm that's managing clients, right? Or was there any like pieces that you took from that kind of that first experience, right? Like that being a debt buyer experience that's helping you now better understand how to service a client as a law firm?
1: Well, certainly is, is, is the short answer. Um, you know, there's, there's so much as the client that, you know, unless you're going to be in that office on a day-to-day basis that you're just not going to be aware of, right? From jurisdiction mm-hmm. to jurisdiction, the way that things need to be done changes in a way that can be operationally significant, right? Mm. So, um, the, the, the ability to be here on the, on the, um, on the firm side helps to understand. It helps me, I think, to understand that buyer a little bit better because I know what they mm. can realistically achieve, right? If, if they are not going to be able to produce a, a particular set of documents, um, uh, not because they don't exist, but because their relationship doesn't provide for them, well, it's unrealistic to to proceed in a way that's going to require that type of documentation. And, and and you know maybe that's a poor example, but um, makes sense. You know, there's there's nuance on both sides of the of the of the deal, and I think having some experience on one side can can really help you appreciate it on the other. Um, it's very simple. I think to to sit at your own desk and say, "Well, I'm doing what I need to do. Why can't everybody else just do what they need to do?" And that's 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 a very comfortable so, attitude to take, but it's not going to collect anything.
0: Well, that brings up a really good um, it, one of the things. It brings up a good point because one of the things that you were talking about was kind of that balance. I'm going to call it right. Like it's this balance of who's getting the data and who's kind of um, who's navigating the path, right? Who's choosing which direction we're going to go as we're talking about data waterfalls, which are going to directly affect your ability to perform. So, you know, as you've, as you've kind of worked both sides of those. It sounds like you found kind of like a hybrid solution at Velo to where you can manage either style of client, right? Those debt buyers that want to be fully in control of their own waterfalls and feed you the information and those that require you to manage that information and to kind of make that more proactive approach. Is that like, have you guys used the technology with Scott and everybody to kind of find that balance? So yeah,
1: it's 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 a great um it's it's a great way to look at it in terms of a, of a balance among resources that that are available in our office. I, I think most firms nowadays would tell you that they'd be lost without their their technology and then I think in the next breath they'd be telling you that they'd be lost without their people. Um and that that is absolutely true here. And one um, really serves to enhance the other. And I'm I'm going to get around to an actual answer to your question, but um, I think that the ability to have a human interaction with your data systems and your technological um, operation in order to make sure that it accomplishes the function that maybe you understand on a qualitative basis in a way that's a little harder to capture in... Um, in, in within your systems of record. Maybe it's something you just understand about your client. It's a little harder to make part of criteria, you know, within uh mm-hmm. within your collection software. And so there needs to be that human element that guides the process. And then also nobody can manage all of this themselves. And so those those same people need the technological resources to be efficient. Right? So let's let's bring their talents to bear in the most mm-hmm. efficient way we can. And so I think they work hand in hand. And I think that's the way you best service the client, right? So how do these handoffs work between you and I? Do they work through EDIs and and really a human interaction is required um, on on a less frequent basis, but a more intense basis, right? Like a human interaction is gonna be required, but only in the event of a problem really. Or is this gonna be an ongoing sort of day-to-day where we're we're gonna discuss your accounts and, and be sort of a consultative resource for for your business in in that way, and and all of that comes mm-hmm. down to your people having the flexibility to operate in both ways, right? But right. but the capacity, right? So, because if you is and so if you lack the technology, then they'll never be efficient enough to have the capacity to do both of those things.
0: Sure, I mean that makes a lot of sense, right? It's a for me. I always look at the technology and the people as. My people are, are are the driving force. The technology is there to make them more efficient, right? So it's sure. there to assist them and to amplify the value of each individual person. And that's ultimately what I'm using the technology for. It's not really a replacement, so to speak. And I know as we talk about artificial intelligence and other things that that's really um, how people's minds have started to think about, oh, oh we're right. going to take this technology, we're going to replace these people. But it's really about lifting those people up by... Backfilling underneath them with the technology to make them a more efficient operation, whether that be procedurally or new pieces of technology or new pieces of data. And that seems to be a major driving factor in the legal world these days. And um, I had released a podcast um, a couple of days ago, or, or I'm sorry, last month, where we were talking about the TransUnion Datos report. And we were looking at some of the uh, application of some of this technology and just looking at those charge off volumes that are coming right now and what we're expecting, right? So in um, looking at that report, we could see like charge-off rates rising exponentially. We're talking back in October of 2023, looking at all-time Um, highs since like the 1990s in terms of auto loan deficiencies, right? And so all of that bad debt that's currently starting to come to the surface, right? In terms of delinquencies is going to be falling out in 2024, would be my expectation, right? And as we start to see that, it feels like the technology becomes those train tracks that allows us to run more train, more cars, so to speak, right? Over those same tracks so that our trains can pull more cars because we're going to find this difficulty in the balance between the collectability of accounts and the volume of accounts, right? And you've been around long enough to have seen this a few times, 2008, 2012, um, right? Like we've seen this a few times now and I'm curious to see how that's going to come into the future, but it feels like Velo is well positioned to kind of manage that type of a process in that balance of the people and technology. Are you guys feeling, you know, prepared for the influx of volume that's expected?
1: Well, um, you know, there are some problems that are of higher quality than others, right? So, uh, Fair. An, an influx of volume, uh, is, is a challenge that we, we welcome here uh, at Velo. Although uh, to, to address your question more seriously, no, I do think that we're very well positioned for that. I think that the groundwork for, um, increasing at scale was laid here mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, it's it's yeah. um, an evolving process, obviously, as the ability to prepare evolves and as, as new means to go to market evolve, that that groundwork has evolved. But but um, I think we're well positioned in the sense that our processes are, are, are in place and they're very clean. We're in a position to respond to changes, um, whether they're coming from a client or a regulatory body, we're in a position to be flexible with the way we approach accounts. I think we've got a team here that is that is nimble and energetic and, and willing, honestly, um, to to make to make the adjustments necessary to be successful. I think in in, in the case of an influx in volume, you know that um, really tests your systems. And mm-hmm. so, so I think it's a that, true
0: stress test,
1: right? Well, literally speaking, right? A stress test of your, <laughs> of your systems. So I, I I look forward uh, to that opportunity, both in, in terms of the opportunity that it presents, but because I believe in, in what we're doing here. And I think that um, given the stresses of increased volume, I think that, that firms like ours are, are well positioned to perform well.
0: I think when you're focused on your people and then you've got that technology, you know, kind of factors helping to drive everything forward, it's a great position to be in. Um, And, you know, through my conversations with Scott, and if you guys haven't seen the podcast I did with Scott Renner um, on Receivables Roundtable a couple months back, we'll link that below as well. But that's where we were talking a little bit more about some of the uh, kind of the underlying technology behind the firm and some of the data waterfall techniques and other things that you guys have been using to become a more efficient operator. Operation as a uh, as a legal entity, but Neil, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I feel like it's been and I've been doing this for far too long to not have had you on as a guest.
1: Well, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. That there's not um, too many forums where I can just go on about <laughs> about this industry with with anyone who knows what I'm talking about. So I always relish the opportunity, and um, and as well. Uh, value this this relationship both personally and, and professionally
0: absolutely my friend i honestly can say that i don't think i'd be where i'm at had i not had the relationship with you had we not had all of our experiences traveling the country writing thousands and thousands of pages of documentation building software and doing some really incredible things um you know, your, your friendship is very important to me. For those of you that are watching, if you have additional questions, you'd like to ask Neil or myself, you can leave those in the comments below on LinkedIn and YouTube, and we'll be responding to those. Or if you have additional topics you'd like to see us discuss, you can leave those in the comments below as well. And I'm willing to bet I can get Neil to come back at least one more time to help me continue to create great content for a great industry. But until next time, Neil, thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to seeing you again in the near future. And it was great to see you at RMAI. thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. And for those of you watching, thank you so much for your time and attention today. We'll talk to you again soon.